Morning, friends. Welcome to week two, and week two brings gifts. Did you guys pick up your journal on the way in? Sorry again for not having it last week, shipping and all of that. It's hard to pursue them. But we're going to continue in our series in the book of James. And so grab your journals, open them up, page one. We're going to pick up right where we left off in verse five. Several of you asked me if I would show you the animation that we kind of got to last week that you can put it in your journal today. So here's what that looked like. If you weren't here last week, uh, you want to grab that sermon and you want to be able to just kind of track through where we were going. So the first few verses in James is, remember, James is the half-brother of Jesus, writing to the 12 tribes. These are Jewish believers who have centered their life around Jesus, who are living outside of Palestine. They're in the diaspora, and they're experiencing trials and troubles. And so James, as a good pastor and care of the church, writes to them saying, okay, when you go through trials, friends, I want to tell you how the Christian thinks. Not what the Christian feels, what the Christian thinks. And so count it all joy, Christian brothers, sisters, members of the family. Count it all joy when you experience trials of various kinds. Not if you experience, but when you experience. Not one particular kind of trials, but all kinds of trials. Count it all joy because you know that the testing of your faith, the teasing out of where you're at with the Lord produces steadfastness, endurance, confidence. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that that formational good for you, so that you would have perfect and complete faith lacking in nothing. When we go through trials, we're to think of the joy beyond the trial, what the joy is going to actually come to us through what the trial produces in us, its full effect. And so we look at Jesus as our model. I mean, Jesus was formed this way. Luke 2.52, Luke tells us Jesus grew. He grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Jesus grew up in his humanity. Hebrews, remember the book of Hebrews? Hebrews 5 tells us, even though he was a child of God, he learned obedience, a formational good, through what he suffered, is what the author of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews goes on in chapter 12, verse one, says, okay, think about Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus, who's the author, that's the beginning, and the perfecter, he's the end of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That he didn't, he didn't count the, the cross as joy, like I'm so happy to be on the cross, but through the cross, he could see the joy on the other side and what the cross would produce, salvation for humanity. And so we, because we are his offspring, his children in the family of God, we count it all joy. We see the joy beyond the trial of what God is going to form us into a mature, complete faith. And to our experience of that is the increase of joy, that we experience more joy in our faith as he reforms us, as he shapes us and guides us through trials. Now, next week, we're going to look at this conversation where it continues of, in the midst of a trial, don't escape it. You're going to endure it. Don't escape it, trying to find relief through temptations. And so we're going to look at temptations next week. But between the trials and the temptations, there is this section we're going to look at today. So let's wipe the board clean and we'll zoom in. We're going to look at just a few verses today, five through eight, this little section right here, because it's all about one word. It's something we need to be able to go through and grow from our trials. It's wisdom. 
Wisdom is necessary for the Christian to go through and to grow from our trials. So the first part of that trials up there and temptations is what's coming afterwards. And so between trials of what we want to grow from, wisdom gives us the eyes to see what God's doing in our trials. That's where it's coming from, is how do I actually see the good in this? How do I actually see the formational need that I have in the midst of trials so that I grow from them? And then wisdom also helps us navigate our trials so we don't abort them and fall into temptation and maybe even shipwreck our faith. And so wisdom gives us eyes to see broader and further than our current circumstance. And so when we're in the midst of trials and maybe experiencing temptations, what's necessary is wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is not simply knowledge. Wisdom is more than that. It's called understanding. I'll give you this definition for wisdom if you want to write it in your book. Wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom is applying the facts of the situation. Wisdom has understanding to it, and you're able to apply it into action. Wisdom is applied knowledge. We need applied knowledge to be able to navigate our trials and temptations. When I was at the University of Colorado, go Buffs. If you have never been to the University of Colorado, it's a small conservative Christian school (laughs) just that way. I was in this great class called HealthCom, and we were talking about how do we work with medical professionals in talking to their patients to, to actually encourage them to do something in a healthy way that maybe they don't want to do. My professor in this class was a man named Julian. Julian was from France. He was a Frenchman. And Julian loved, 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 loved his cigarettes. Just loved them. And so in class, we talked about how do you communicate to someone to maybe give up a habit That's not beneficial to them, even when they don't want to give it up. And so Julian used himself as an example and tasked the class with creating an argument that they would then present in front of the class of why he should give up cigarettes. And as my fellow classmates began to prepare of like all their data, they pulled up pictures online of what your lungs look like and years off your life it's going to take. And don't you want to see your grandchildren and all of this stuff? One by one, they went up to present. And as I'm watching this happen, I'm thinking, he's done this course before. This is not new information to him. And so it was my turn to go up and I sat there and I said, all right, Thomas, give it to me. What would you say to me as your, as your patient? I said, Julian, there's nothing here that you don't already know. You've seen all the pictures. You've read all the data. You do not lack knowledge, my friend. You lack wisdom. You're not able to make a smart decision. To which his reply was, well, beep, you know, shoot. If I don't have any wisdom, let's just wrap up the class and end it today. And I thought, beautiful. This is the greatest day ever. So the class stood up and with Julian, we walked outside and we left and Julian smoked another cigarette. And I don't need to poke on smokers, but there's something about wisdom is you have knowledge. What do you lack? Is be able to practice that knowledge. It's applying that knowledge. That's what wisdom is. And so when we're in a trial and we're experiencing pain and discomfort and we don't know what to do, we need wisdom. That's what God wants us to have is this wisdom. So that's 
what wisdom is and why we need it to be able to go through and grow from our trials. And what's so, what's so wonderful is that here James tells us that if anyone lacks wisdom when they're going through a trial, which is all of us, that's why it's a trial. If you knew what to do and it was easy for you, that wouldn't be a trial. It's a trial because it's exposing your weaknesses, where you're weak and where you don't understand. That's a trial. And he says, let us ask. I love that. Let us ask. If any of you lacks something, ask for it. I'll tell you, this is where some of us need to just grow up. You know, we need to grow up from our middle school years or our high school years where we didn't want to ask mom and dad anything. We knew best. We knew it all. Sometimes some of us in this room, like we're going through trials and you won't ask any, anyone for help because you won't, you won't allow yourself to experience that kind of humbling humility of, I don't know what to do. And here the Bible just tells us, hey, if, if you're in a trial and you lack wisdom, ask, just ask. You should have a humble posture to say, hey, I just wanna let you know, person up on the stage doesn't always know what to do. There's a lot of times I don't have a clue what to do. I'm not the smartest person in this room and I need to ask for wisdom. So who do you ask? Where do you go to find wisdom? Well, James tells us we ask God. We ask God. We want God's wisdom. We want God's perspective. We want, no, how would God apply knowledge in my present circumstances? And maybe you have a circumstance right now that's in the forefront of your mind, that you're living it right now. I want insight. I want wisdom. I need to know what to do. Ask God. You want wisdom from above. There's a contrast in the scriptures between wisdom, applied knowledge of below the earth and applied knowledge, wisdom from above in the heavens. We just read that in James. If you wanna flip over in your journals or in your Bibles to James chapter three, there is what we call the, the fruit of wisdom. If you wanna know what kind of wisdom you're living from, whether it's wisdom from below or wisdom from above, look at the contrast here of the fruitfulness of those two wisdoms. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual. He even calls it demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So how do you know someone's living out of the wisdom of the world? Is jealousy, selfish ambition. You see right here, this description of they're, they're false. It's unspiritual. There's disorder. Vile practices follow from it. It's just like conflict, complexities, all come from earthly wisdom. Now look at the fruitfulness of wisdom from above. If you want God's wisdom, if you would apply God's wisdom to your life, look at what would be produced through that kind of decision-making. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle. It's open to reason. It's not closed-minded. It's open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. It produces righteousness in your life. You can just circle all those words. Isn't, isn't that what you want in your life? 
Is that what you want to grow into in your life? I just just want to be a person who's peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, has good fruits. I'm impartial and sincere. And there's there's this fruitfulness of righteousness. That's the fruit that comes to the person who applies God's wisdom, not earthly wisdom, but God's wisdom to their life. It's a beautiful picture. Now, we've said this before. We'll say it throughout the whole series. James... Being, being one of the earliest letters written, is most familiar with the teachings of Jesus. And when he writes to this community, he's writing to a community that has been raised, built up, instructed in the Hebrew scriptures. And so there's a lot of assumed knowledge that James is just assuming the community has that he's writing to. And so some of these quick sentences that he writes about gaining wisdom is to spark in their mind all the places that they already know about that God has described his wisdom. And so you think of, you know, Proverbs and you think of what do they already know about God's wisdom? We think of Proverbs chapter three. Proverbs chapter three is filled with just this instruction to gain wisdom, to have God's wisdom in your life. Here's Proverbs chapter three. We're familiar with verse five and six. Trust in the Lord always. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Perhaps we're less familiar with seven and eight. What's what's the fruit of that? Be not wise in your own eyes. That's earthly wisdom. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. What are you looking for when you're in the middle of a trial? Healing? Refreshment? That's what God's wisdom provides when we apply it to our lives. Not earthly wisdom, but heavenly wisdom. When we have God's wisdom in our trials, and our circumstances, it's healing to our flesh and brings refreshment to our bones. That's what the, that's what the, the Proverbs tell us. Now, earthly wisdom is so different than heavenly wisdom. I, Isaiah, the prophet, he talks about the, the wisdom that comes from man and how God just really condemns it this is he, or Isaiah chapter five, verse 20. It says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It's like God has called something in his world, light and darkness, bitter and sweet, evil and good. And then human beings come around, we just like, just change the label on things. Can you think of anything like that? Yeah. That's earthly wisdom. And what does Isaiah say from God? He says, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. It's those who are wise in their own eyes that call darkness light, good, evil, sweet, bitter. Woe to them, he says. He says it's, it's their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. What's being shrewd in their own sight? Was that selfish ambition that James is talking about? That's the wisdom from below. Now, how do you get, how how does wisdom from below come about? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter one, all of this wisdom, this earthly wisdom, wise in our own eyes, comes from when humanity turns away from God. So Romans chapter one says, okay, the world knows, like the world's, it's obvious to the world that there's a God, okay? That God created things. Everyone really, in a sense, knows this. It's too complex and perfect and balanced not to understand these things. In Romans chapter one, it says, though they knew God, 
They did not honor him or give him thanks, but instead they became futile in their thinking. They became wise in their own eyes because they did not honor him, give him thanks and worship him, but instead turned and worshiped the creation. You know, they didn't worship the creator who made it all. They started worshiping the thing in the mirror. They were so impressed with the one in the mirror. He says, okay, well, then I'm gonna give them over. He says, I gave them over to their passions. I gave them over to their lusts. He says, I gave them over to a debased mind that they would be wise in their own eyes. That's the wisdom of the world compared to the wisdom of above. You think about all the fruit that the wisdom of above produces, you know, refreshment to the flesh and this beautiful, or sorry, healing to the flesh and refreshment to the bones. It produces peace, gentleness, mercy. It's not, it's not discriminatory. It's for all. It's open to reason. Like you engage your mind with it. I want the wisdom from above. I want God's wisdom in what to do. So going back to James, if any of you are in a trial, you need wisdom to grow from it and go through it. And the wisdom you want to ask for is not from the world. You want to ask the wisdom from God. And there's something here that's also wonderful. It's like, we can ask God with great confidence. It says, let us ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. These three descriptions of gives generously to all without reproach, that's a description of God's character. If someone were to ask you, why do you pray? And you say, well, you have to know who I'm praying to. The God I pray to is a wonderful God. These are three descriptions of his character. When you think of God and who you're praying to, I want these three descriptions to be in your mind when you're asking God. Who are you asking? Who are you talking to? You're talking to the giving, generous, without reproach God. That's who you're giving to. All right, that's who you're praying to is the one who wants to give, who's generous in his giving and doesn't give with any reproach. That's the kind of God that we're praying to. Maybe just write that in the margins there. Those are three descriptions of the character of the one who hears your prayers. Now, in the sense of being a giving God, so much of what James says is built out of the teachings of Jesus. And you can see this from especially the Sermon on the Mount. Here in Matthew, let's see here, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus is teaching on this mount to his disciples and his hearers, and he's talking about what the Father is like. What kind of God is he? And he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons or daughters of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rains on the just and on the unjust. So here's Jesus teaching his disciples, okay, if you want to be like your father, you want to be children of your father, you want to have their, his DNA in you, you want to love like your dad loves, then love those who both love you and those who hate you. Then you'll be like your dad who's in heaven because this is how your father operates. He sends the rain and the sun. Those are the two necessary ingredients for life. 
that life would happen, that things would be produced here, that we would have all the industry that we do, all the different creative elements that we have on life comes from the rains and the suns, so to speak. And God gives that to those who love him, the just, and those who hate him, the unjust. And if you're gonna be his children, then you wanna love those who love you and love those who hate you. Now, this is just a wake-up call for us as Christians say, okay, if we're gonna be like our father who is the giving father, who gives generously to all the just and unjust, that's how we should live. Maybe there's some people in your world, maybe that you know, who live under the influence of the world's wisdom and you can't stand them. It bothers you. Well, how, how is Jesus calling us to respond to them? In love. If you wanna be children of your heavenly father, even those who live under the world's wisdom and make drive you crazy, what is our posture towards them? Is love, is love. Why? Because that's God. He's the giving God to the just and unjust, to all. Now it says he gives generously. Now this word for generosity can really be translated two ways in the New Testament. It can be translated generosity in abundance, which is probably what you're thinking of right now. Paul uses it that way. Or it can be translated to generosity is single-mindedness as Jesus used it in the gospels. James, who's most familiar with the teachings of Jesus and writing before Paul writes, is probably using it the same way that Jesus used it. His generosity in giving is single-minded in giving. Now, what does that mean? Why is, why is that generous? It's without complexities. Or maybe we would say it this way. He gives without strings attached. Do you have people in your life that love to give with strings attached? Strings attached are like, well, you know, I gave you a piece of my sandwich. You owe me a piece of yours. I've given you more than you've given me. Or they like to give just so that you, they know that you're in their debts. Or they give in such a way as they, that you would realize that you owe them. God gives without the strings attached, with single-mindedly. He just wants you to have wisdom. And he gives it and doesn't hold it over your head and say, well, now you really owe me. Now there's some strings attached. Now you're really my debt. Now I really want to see you behave. No, he gives generously, single-mindedly, without complexities, without the strings attached to you who are asking him. So he's the giving generously without reproach. Some of us had parents that would give to us eventually after reproaching us of like, man, are you serious? You're going to ask again. Really? Again, you should know this by now. Really? What'd you do with the last $10 I gave you? Why are you asking me for $10 now? You know, you are so silly. You are so immature. You have wasted all the things I've given you. And after they belittle you, after they reproach you, then they say, but anyway, here's what you want. That's not how God gives. God gives single-mindedly without reproaching us, without belittling us, without shaming us for coming to him. He wants you to come to him and say, I don't have a clue what to do. And he says, oh, that's great. I do. And I'd love to share with you my wisdom that you might see broader and further than your current circumstance and that you'd see deeper into what's going on that you would be formed and shaped by this trial. 
That's the goodness of God. So when someone says, why would you pray? Say, oh, you have to know God. He's the giving generously without reproaching me, God. That's who I'm praying to. And that's who gives his wisdom to us. So let us ask God. That says, well, how do we ask? Let us ask in faith. So how do we ask for this? How, how does it come to us? Well, we first have to ask by faith to trust him that he'll do it. That he'll trust him for his promises that he'll be good on his promises. How do I ask in faith? Because right next it says, with no doubting. You see that? So in one sense, it's like he loves to give to all without reproach, just don't doubt. And this is where we can get kind of sideways. Some probably have heard it said, you have to ask in faith and then you're asking God to do something and then it doesn't happen. And what has some Christians told you before? You didn't believe enough. Yeah, it's your fault. You didn't have enough faith. And so what you need is perfect faith for God to answer your prayers. And you're in this room going, well, who has that? Nobody. So what is this ask in faith with no doubting? Is that like the clause? This like the legal document? Like see article seven, line five. Now I don't have to give it to you. What is the doubting here? Well, we know that doubts are not incompatible with faith. Faith is not the absence of doubts. Faith is the depositing of doubts. You have doubts or concerns or questions. You deposit them somewhere. That's an act of faith. We know that Jesus didn't turn away people who doubted. Remember the father who came to Jesus asking that he would heal his son? And Jesus says, do you really believe? And the man says, I believe, help my, what's he say? my unbelief, help my doubts. And then Jesus heals the man's son. And so something about doubting is not incompatible with faith. So what is the doubting here that James is saying can restrict or inhibit the wisdom that we get? Well, he gives a description of this doubting later on of what is this man or woman in their doubting. So you continue to read here. Let me grab my Bible. He says, do not doubt for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So the doubting here is connected to two pictures, a wave that is unstable. It's just in the ocean, rolling, Wherever the wind might blow it, there's no direction to it. There's no allegiance to it. There's no formation of it. It's just blowing wherever the wind takes it. The second description is this person who's double-minded. Literally, it means double-souled or double allegiance. They're unstable. And so the doubting is not intellectual concerns. See, we love intellectual inquiries. If you have doubts about the intellectual validity of God's word or God himself or being the creator or Christianity or the resurrection of Jesus, and you've ever heard a Christian say, don't ask those questions, just believe. That's not helpful. We love questions. When it feels like your faith is falling apart and you have doubts, you wanna inquire about those things. We love that. God loves that. So what is the doubting here? The doubting is allegiance. Remember what Jesus also said in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, don't have two masters. You can't. 
You can't love God and money, right? You'll, you'll, you'll love one or hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. This double-minded is doubled-souled, meaning, see, God gives single-mindedly without complications or strings attached. Don't ask for wisdom double-mindedly with complications and strings attached. Does that kind of make sense? And so it's like the one who comes to God and says, God, I really want your wisdom as long as it affirms the direction I already want to go. I really want your wisdom and insight here, but only if it doesn't like make me uncomfortable. I really want your wisdom in my life as long as it doesn't challenge the cultural norms where I live in, because that would be uncomfortable. And so you come as a single person and say, Lord, give me wisdom in my singleness. What do I do? And he says, I just call you to serve the Lord. I call you for, for celibacy and purity. And you're like, well, not that. I mean, come on, that's crazy. And you come to God, I want wisdom. How do I love my spouse? And he says, I want you to be the chief sacrificer in the home. That's your role as the man, to be the chief sacrificer. You're like, yeah, I'm not doing that. That's with strings attached, complications. You're double-minded. You're trying to build one kingdom and ask God's for wisdom from his kingdom. I think James points this out later on when he's talking about prayer. If you wanna go to James chapter four, different category of prayer, but still asking of God. Chapter four, verse We'll look in verse two, second part. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So God, bless me, help me, shape me, give me insight so I can distance myself from you more and build my own kingdom over here. See, wisdom is a powerful thing. Why, does God, why would God want to give it to someone who wants to build a kingdom apart from him? That's the contingency, is when we ask, don't ask as someone who has divided allegiances. Ask and say, Lord, whatever your wisdom leads me to, because I know it leads to mercy and joy and gentleness and reason and all of these things. I want that in my life. And so wherever that leads, even if my world says I'm crazy, even if people around me say I'm closed-minded, I'm gonna follow the wisdom of God. Why? Because I'm into trouble, I'm in trials, and I want healing for my flesh and refreshment for my bones. And I wanna be able to go through this trial and grow from this trial. And what's necessary is your wisdom. Now, where does this wisdom come from? Like you pray, and does he just like through osmosis, put it in your brain? Maybe, that'd be the Holy Spirit. That's the first place. There's kind of four places I want to direct your attention of where does God give, how, how does God give this wisdom for those whom he answers the prayer for? The first is this, is just the Holy Spirit. When, when James actually describes wisdom here, right? So let him ask without doubting. Let him ask, this is the wisdom, the one that's gonna teach you and shape you. That's the same description of Jesus that has for the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. Where, where Jesus said, I'm gonna send the helper to you. He's gonna remind you of, of all truth, what I have said. That's the Holy Spirit. So the first thing is for the Christian, God does give us the Holy Spirit as the one who moves our conscience and our mind, reminds us of the things that Jesus has called us to, and that guides us in our wise decisions. The second place is God's word. 
God's word is filled with wisdom. There's a whole section of this book called, called the wisdom literature. If you want to be a wise person, I would just suggest you become very familiar with the, the book of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. That's the wisdom of the real life lived through suffering and hardship, pain, trauma, it all, through, through your sexual identity. It's all in these wisdom books. I want wisdom, God. Go to his word, go to, the, go to Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Another place that God gives wisdom is through counsel. This is why we have mentors in our life. I, just to admit, remember always, I'm the biggest sinner in the room, not the smartest one in here. I need mentors in my life. This is why Calvary has a men's mentoring program for young men to be mentored by older men who have been through the life stages that you're currently in, through parenting, through owning a business, through developing at work, through getting out of habits and hangups. This is why we have a women's mentoring program for older women to teach younger women how to navigate the storms of life. So wise counsel, the scriptures call us to be around the generations that they would instruct us and teach us what they have learned from God in their life. So you have the spirit, you have God's word, you have wise counsel, God's people. And then I think the fourth one is this, is evaluated experiences. Is we all have experiences in our life. The difference is some of us evaluate them and some of us don't. And so some of us are going through the same experience over and over and over again. You've had 30 years of the same experience or do you have 30 years of experience? That's evaluated. At the end of the day, this is the practice of journaling or sitting before the Lord and saying, here's how the day went, Father. Here are the decisions that I made. Here's how I reacted or responded. This, I, I didn't wanna react and respond that way. And so Lord, would you help me to change the way that I react or respond or think about these things. Help me to do better tomorrow. Would you shape me into the person that I want to be? That's evaluated experiences. See, the Bible has these two terms, the one who is wise and the one who's a fool. We talk about being a fool at our house a lot with our kids. Don't be a fool. Like, it's like, what's a fool? I said, okay, let me give you a description of the fool from the Proverbs. You're gonna love this. Kids get this immediately. A fool, the proverb says, is like a dog that returns to its vomit. That's a fool who vomits over here, leaves for a little while, oh, food, and returns and licks up its vomit. The wise person has an experience in their life and says, that made me feel good. I'm gonna be done with that and walk this way with the Lord. I wanna evaluate my experience. I wanna have counsel in my life. I want God's word to shape me. I want his spirit to convict me that I would be a wise man, that you'd be a wise woman following the ways of the Lord, that you would experience healing for your flesh, refreshment to your bones, that you learned to go through and grow from our trials. That's what's necessary for us Christians. That's so different than the world. We're looking for the wisdom of God. Now, can you identify a trial in your life right now? Are you looking for wisdom? How to navigate it? Okay. 
With that in our minds, let's seek the Lord together. Let's pray. Father, we want to seek wisdom because it's more precious than gold. It's more precious than silver. It's more valuable than anything that we can acquire here on earth. And Father, we come before you in the midst of our trials. Lord, every every person in this room probably has something in their mind right now. And, and you know it. This is so great. You know it. And you tell us to ask you. You're not mad that we're here asking. You're, you're happy. You're happy that we're before you asking. And so we're asking for wisdom from you. Lord, I, pr- I pray that you would give it to them. Perhaps even in just this moment from the word of God that has been tucked away in their hearts from a conversation they've had with a mentor or good counsel. From past experience, Lord, right now, would you just speak to them? Holy Spirit, would you speak to them? What is the wise thing to do? That we would experience the fruit of heavenly wisdom in our life. And Father, I just pray for for my friends. I pray that we would ask single-mindedly that wherever your wisdom leads, we will go. That we are fully devoted to you. Not trying to spend your insights on our own selfish ambitions or building a life apart from you, but, but, but for you, with you. So, Lord, we just, we just want to sit in faith right now. We just sit in faith. Knowing that you, you are the giving, generous, without reproach God. Lord, for anyone in this room just feels so foolish for having to come to you, I just pray that you would just cast that out and that you would remind them that you're happy they're coming to you. For the 10,000th time, Lord, maybe, just coming to you. There's just someone in this room that needs to hear that, they're, that you are happy that you're calling on you. Lord, make us wise people. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we ask this. Amen.